Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. Welcome along to episode 18 of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you in association with the Connecticut chapter of Conscious Capitalism. On today's podcast, I am joined by the owner of MVVP, based in Hamden, and board member of Conscious Capitalism Connecticut, Paul Murphy. Hello and welcome. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm good. Welcome along to the podcast. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get to this point in your career? Well, Claire, um, I'm originally Irish. I grew up on a farm in Ireland. I uh, I always wanted to be um, yeah, somewhere where they made stuff. I always wanted a job in an environment where you actually worked with your hands or you had an opportunity to see things go out the door. My career has been one of uh, sort of adventure and exploration since I came to the U.S. back in um, 1998. I came for one year. And I've stayed ever since, not necessarily looking to take a direct route anywhere. Uh, Over my career, I've worked for about uh, six different manufacturing companies, both large and small. I've uh, started two different companies. Uh, One was a uh, a lean manufacturing consulting company, and the other one was a lean manufacturing software company. Over my time, my moves from one company to another tended to be based upon finding a company with sort of the willingness to create the right culture. Right now, I'm sort of at a crossroads. recently left ECA in Shelton after nine years and now I formed a company in MVVP LLC and what I'm using this company to do is to take the road less traveled. I'm going to purchase a manufacturing company with the purpose of applying both lean and conscious capital principles at the company. Ah exciting stuff. So come on then whereabouts in Ireland are you from? Your beautiful accent. I uh, yeah it's uh, the angrier I am the more it comes out. Um, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 was, uh, I was born in Dublin, yes. uh, but uh, I spent most of my time uh, in uh, Tipperary. I grew up on a farm, which was a uh, horse and chicken farm. We had uh, about uh, 20 horses and 25,000 chickens, so a lot of uh, chicken poop. Now, do, uh, tell me, do you miss the Emerald Isle? I do, but it's apples and oranges. You know, I miss uh, certain aspects of it. The, more relaxed atmosphere, uh, more uh, focus on quality of life things. But uh, yes. I enjoy the weather here, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm saying nothing about the uh, the weather in our part of the world. What do you wish you'd known before you kind of started out on your career path? What do you wish you'd known back in Dublin and Tipperary? Oh, so long ago. I think it, that the one thing I, I wish I knew was it's always good to reach out to people and let them know what you think you want to do. I think it helps to clarify in your own mind what that is. Yes. Often uh, we, we head down a path ourselves with a lot of enthusiasm, but no real understanding of where we might be trying to get to at that point. I think that if you let people know, and what I found over the years, uh, and I find myself doing this now that I'm more in a mentoring role, the more you tell people, the more likely they are to help you. I think people enjoy helping others achieve their goals in life or, or help them open up the path. And so if there was one thing I would say to God help me younger folks, it would be um, <laughs> uh, to look for mentorship. Uh, look for uh, people you look up to that, that aspire to the values that you think you have and let them know what you're trying to do. I, I think you'll find you'll be pleasantly surprised 
um, the types of questions that they ask and, and uh, the type of help that they can give you. Mm, it's very interesting, isn't it? That's such a big jump, isn't it? That asking for help. I certainly know that the school of thought that I guess I grew up in and my early career was, which was you rarely asked for help. You assumed you knew how to do pretty much everything that was going to be thrown at you, but actually actually putting it out there and asking for help and asking for you know a bit of guidance and mentorship as to where you'd like to be um, is actually great strength, not in that vulnerability, there's strength in that rather than weakness. So yeah, it's a, it's a good tip. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's uh, it's interesting to see the transformation of people from more uh, competition to collaborative over the years. I think colleges uh, are much better at it today than we were. Certainly in Ireland at the time, it was very mm-hmm. much of a competitive environment because unemployment was at twenty percent. Yeah. So you knew that uh, in all likelihood there was going to be a scarcity of jobs when when you got out of college. Mm, absolutely. So how did you first get involved with conscious capitalism here in Connecticut? Well, I've just been involved for about uh, the last, I guess, nine months here. I always knew vaguely in my head um, what I felt capitalism should be and what companies could do. And and most of it extends back for me back into uh, my experience with lean manufacturing. But I guess my first introduction to conscious capitalism, I met Gavin on a plant tour of Watson Foods um, a number of years ago, and and we hit it off. Uh, He and I had both an appreciation for how we engaged our teams and provided a workplace with dignity. I didn't, as I say, know much about conscious capitalism at the time, but over the last year, Gavin and I have reconnected and he's introduced me to the company. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy and somebody that we've interviewed previously here on uh, The Curious Capitalist, and you can check that out online. So thinking about some of the the tenets of conscious capitalism, and obviously you've just started this brand new business, uh, MVVP LLC. What does it mean to you that your company has that higher purpose? Well, I'm going to take it from the perspective of ECA as well. Uh, I worked at ECA for nine years before this. I left uh, in May. So in in terms of Looking at it from that perspective, I'd say the thing that uh, having a higher purpose is it really separates us from most other companies. Uh, having a sense of purpose, what it gives us is a common aspirational bond. It makes us sort of gives us a, a point of pride that we may not otherwise have. You know, it's a uniting thing within, within a company, especially if it's explained very well. Uh, most companies like ECA and right now MVPP is really just a, a shell company as, as I search to, to purchase a new organization. But most companies don't make products that save lives or are critical to national defense. But we recognize that at ECA that we could be a force for good within our own people's lives and within our own community's lives. We had an engaged ownership at ECA that was willing to think in a holistic way. And our purpose, uh, as we, we identified it, was to inspire and be inspired. And what that meant was that we worked hard to get uh, or, or set up and develop about 10 to 12 uh, community events each year, uh, another 10 or 12 employee-focused events, and, and we had a significant focus on education, training, and development of our people. Nice. Once you once you bring it all together, it really gives you a strong sense of purpose, and, and people understood that, that we wanted them to be in, both an inspiration in their community and to be inspired by the people that they work with. That's nice. That's a great kind of a higher purpose and a motivator there to help those uh, those staff really feel involved and part of. Thinking about the culture and leadership at that previous role, what language would you use to describe your organization's culture as it was then? And did it have a definable character through those events that you had? Yeah, I would say um, fun 
it was uh, one actually one of our core values was to have fun every day. Awesome, um, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, it, and it was really important. It's not a, it's not just a throwaway thing. I think people work better when they're actually having fun. I always enjoyed walking out onto our production floor. I, I would uh, do at, at least two gamba walks uh, a day and hear people laugh. I think it's important. The other words I would use are engaged, trusting, and friendly. When you have an engaged team, the trust level is high. The higher the trust level, the faster you can move as an organization in terms of uh, deployment of policies, engagement of strategies, and friendly from the perspective of you got great feedback. You know, if something's not working, people didn't look at it as a win or lose situation. They looked at it as an opportunity to say, hey, Paul, this, this, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. Or can we change this to make it work? Or sometimes they just went ahead and made the changes and told me about them afterwards, which was <laughs> great because they felt, uh, you know, empowered. they knew better. Yeah, they, they were mm -hmm. empowered. And actually, most of the time, they knew better than I did because they're the ones who were, who were getting it. the work done. Yeah, it's interesting. We had a, a team meeting not so long ago. And uh, one of the questions that we were asked on a Monday morning at silly o'clock, I'll have you know, uh, was yeah. um, what is the most important thing for encouraging creativity and openness of ideas. And uh, I was in a room full of Americans, very, very bright Americans, very skilled in their individual trade. And it was coming around to me and I was like, oh, I can't think of anything clever. I can't think of something that sounds really highfalutin and impressive. <laughs> and all that I could think of was have fun and to laugh, yeah. you know, because for me, certainly throughout my entire career, if I'm having fun, like you said, and, and I'm humor is huge, it's a huge part of, of how I work. If you can do that within your collaborative group, then I find that we're more productive. So it's interesting, you should say fun. So I hope the boss is listening. If you're listening, see, I was right. Paul said, Paul said I was right. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't use me as a sounding board. Anyway. <laughs> you're all I've got. I'm hanging on to it. Paul. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So thinking about your your culture of that business and how do you know that it's accurate how do you measure it you know obviously you're talking about you know your employees making big decisions to improve productivity how do you know and measure that that's that's a really good question um uh, i was uh, you know we all were were uh, animals of uh, measurements uh, we're always looking for a way to do do that I would look at it this way. First of all, we, we spent a tremendous amount of time as an organization, as a leadership team, focused on what engagement really meant. And we discussed it at length uh, so that we truly could understand it and recognize it. We broke our engagement level into three different categories. The first was engaged, second was disengaged, and the third was actively disengaged. So engaged is this person comes to work, uh, understands the goal, understands the mission. And we had these as we had behavioral statements for all of these things. We might have 20 different behavioral statements so you could recognize somebody who was engaged. A disengage is not necessarily bad. It just means that they come to work, they want to get work done, but then they leave it behind them. They're there to be productive, but not necessarily focused on the mission of the company and actively disengage to those folks who you may want to tie a ribbon around a big bow and uh, bring them to your nearest competitor and knock on the door and run away. Um, <laughs> so so our, our goal obviously was to, to understand um, the different categories, understand where our folks lay, and we would literally measure this through a process with our team leads and our supervisors and each month. And our goal was to work with our employees through this process to get as many of our folks on the path to being engaged and to 
provide them feedback as to what uh, habits, what activities could help them move in that direction. Engaged is sort of, you know your job, uh, you're able to do your job, and at the same time, you're also part of the team and, get, and you get the bigger sense and mission of, of the company. So it was a process that uh, on a monthly basis, we looked at our score. We could tell based upon the team what the relationship between the leader led was, whether we were getting more folks engaged or we are having more people disengaged and we could actually then go and do something about it. One of the things that I want to make clear is, is that at the end of the day, it's, it's all about leadership. If we're not engaging people, that's a leadership issue, not a not an employee issue. And we worked really hard to make sure that the engagement score was more about at what we're doing as a management team. We also saw outside help. Once every two years, we brought in an outside company to do a, a full in-depth engagement survey of our employees, Anonymous. They would interview our employees for about a half an hour each and take them through a series of questions and uh, solicit their input on things that we're not doing well, things we can do better, so that we would understand uh, where we are actively engaging our, our teams and where we're failing whether from a leadership perspective or otherwise, where we're failing to fully engage our own teams. And that helped us understand whether we were staying true to our mission. I'm curious. So with some of the people who were perhaps disengaged or not, not quite where you'd like them to be, give me a, an idea of some of the things that you implemented to improve that engagement. Was it an educational thing? Was it more social things? What, what, what did you do? So if we go back to our employee engagement process, what we would do is literally the team leaders would pick an employee of theirs each month and spend time with that employee, make, making sure they got to know them. What we were focused on was the leader-led relationship. If the leader-led relationship is good, in other words, that there's collaboration, that they're working hard together, we find that the employee is happier, that they're more productive, and that they feel more part of the team. So it may be that they're not engaged because we haven't given them the skill set to do the job properly. So they're frustrated because of that. They will tell you what the issue is. Yes. Um, so part of it is just sitting down and having a conversation and, and cre creating this habit of every month, not waiting for a problem to, to occur. One of the things we believed was that heartbeat leaders, as we call them, or, or flow leaders, struggle in general, as just in, in general. They struggle with the idea of working with people before a problem occurs. So our goal was to get them whereby before there's a real problem, you're looking for opportunities uh, with the employee of things that they want to work on. So that requires an honest conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I noticed this. Uh, hey, um, you know, we're not, you and I as leader ladder are not on the same page with respect to some attribute or I see you struggle with this. Do you see yourself struggling with this? If the answer is no, then there's nothing to work on at that point in time. If the answer is, yeah, I, you know, I find myself struggling to bring more issues up at the morning meeting or to actively engage with uh, two other people on the team because I feel intimidated by their knowledge or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now there's a point of discussion. And then it's, well, what do you think the reason for that is? And we try and get to the root cause. And we, we teach the team leads and the supervisors how to have these conversations so they're not threatening so there are um, opportunities for improvement that puts the person in position for whatever it is they want to be in life. So if their aspiration is to become the next technician in our fabrication department, 
they've already sat down and said with that person, what is it that you want to be? What skill sets are you missing? And how can I help you get there? So there's a lot of conversations that are going on. And by having these conversations on a, a monthly basis or throughout the month, there's opportunities for them to work collaboratively to build the skills and reputation of that person so that when that opportunity opens up, they have a really good chance of getting that position. And I I think that when you work that way, rather than waiting for something to become a problem, people tend to be less in denial and more open to being able to step back and look at themselves in an objective way as opposed to, and their habits as opposed to looking at it in a defensive way because they're worried about their job or being disciplined. Absolutely. It's it's being proactive rather than reactive and and getting them used to that that environment. That's that's good. Uh, If you could have snapped your fingers and made one cultural change happen at the company before, uh, what would it have been and why? I I think that the the biggest thing, and and, uh, I've worked at as I said, six or seven different companies, and, and I consulted on a lean basis for four years, so I saw a lot of different companies, a lot of different cultures. So I'm going to deal with this on a bigger, bigger picture scale. I would say the one thing that every company needs to recognize is that it all starts with sincere commitment and belief of the leadership team, that they are committed to the purpose and principles of the organization, and it starts and ends with leadership. Leadership is uh, only too willing to look at the deficiencies of the people or the process or the, you know, the, uh, the team that they were given or, or whatever, when in reality, leadership has the ability to change all those things and uh, they should own it. And uh, often what I find is that leadership loves the results, but not necessarily how the sausage is made. And you need to be able to go out there and commit yourself to the process and, and be seen on the floor and be seen as the person who is actively engaged in a sincere attempt to support the mission, vision, values, and purpose of the company. Yep, starts at the top. Who would you say was the most important stakeholder in that company and why? I I thought a lot about this, but I would say definitely ownership because as with any company, ownership gets to decide how the company plays the game. Um, You can't vote them out and they can change the rules without knowing it if they aren't aware of the importance of their role in defining and staying true to the mission, vision, values, and purpose. Do you think that the customers were aware that you had this culture within your business? And and if so, how would they know? Uh, Good question. Um, ECA was known for the quality and passion of its customer service team. That that passion doesn't exist in the vacuum. It it comes from the confidence, from the support they get from the rest of the team. Um, If they're on the phone, um, with a customer, you know, when a customer calls up, they're, they're bright, they're energetic, they have a can-do spirit because they know there's a team to back them up no matter what the issue. Then the customer starts to feel, they may not know why, but the customer starts to feel, wow, they got good customer service. You know, that, that's an organization I want to, want to deal with. The yes, we can do it has to be backed up by the team of engineers, accountants, manufacturers, fabricators, uh, painters, assemblers, etc. Uh, who look uh, forward to a good challenge and who are eager to fix a mistake when something goes wrong. So you have to admit to it, rally around whatever it is that we need to fix, and then go back out and delight the customer. Somebody once told me that nobody notices, and I think this is sort of very apt in our current situation, nobody knows the electricity company and how good the electricity is until it goes out. (laughs) We, We pay electrical companies or utility companies not for the service or the quality of the electricity that they supply, but for how robust their systems are, and especially how quickly they get us back up and running after a storm or a hurricane or, or, or a, a 
disaster. The same thing in, in, in our organizations. Customers recognize companies that when they need help, whether it's a, something on their end or something on our end that got messed up, maybe they didn't order their product on time. Maybe they made a mistake on what they ordered. They, they recognize you based upon your willingness to make wrong rice, no matter whose fault it is. And to do that, you have to have the right values. And mm -hmm. I think that ECA's reputation was certainly one of a company that tried to do the right things all the time. Yeah, no, that's a good reputation to have, that's for sure. I'm curious, how long were you without power after the storm? I was out for a whole 15 minutes. Shut up. Have you got a generator? And, and No, I don't. And and one of my deck chairs almost turned over. So it, was, <laughs> it was really harrowing. Um, I wasn't actually in the house for the 15 minutes. I was out taking a run and I came back and noticed the clock had gone off. So I did write a strongly worded letter oh, to, um, to myself and tell myself shut up and uh, realize that how fortunate I was. I love some of the memes that always happen in Europe. Whenever we have bad weather in Europe, it'll be yes. ferocious storm strikes the British Isles and there'll be two wheelie yeah. bins that have fallen over in the street. Exactly, exactly. So you got to have a sense of humor. But, uh, you know, I, I, we're fortunate on street I'm on. Uh, all of our utilities were put in underground uh, when they, that was part of the uh, change in the town uh, when the uh, the street was built in 15 years ago, I guess it's 15 years ago now. Um, so they had to put the utilities, which certainly, you know, makes a difference. I was going to ask you about that because I've had, I've asked a few people, I, I'm still fresh off the boat. I've only been here, what, nearly two years. What's yeah. the score with electricity lines above ground in this country? And why are they not underground? Because we were without power for five days. By day five, I was ready to go to UI and actually like pitch the job of burying cables for them. Uh, burying cables in the US is very expensive. So it's one of those things that uh, in the past it was easier to fix afterwards than uh, bury beforehand. So um, if you go out west, you'll you'll see things where because they're more uh, modern streets, uh, newer streets, towns have sort of expanded in green space, and they tend to have all the utilities underground. Okay. Thank you for your insight, though. It's like, not only is it ugly, but it's really, really silly in a storm. Um, yeah. Okay, back on track. If there was a company that wanted to make a shift, perhaps to more a more conscious way of doing business, what would be your advice? Um, the first thing, and, and it's important for them to read about it and make sure that the ownership and leadership are on board and deeply committed. It's a deep inflection point in the company's history if, if properly deployed. So it's very important for people to understand that whatever major change you're going to undertake, you, you can't try it for a year. You can't just see if it will work. You have to commit yourself to it. So you have to understand what you're getting into. It's going to be a, a huge eye-opener and uh, you need to make sure that you are uh, linked with folks who have either gone through it before, who understand it, who are willing to help you because at the end of the day, it's transformative. The other thing I would say is it's very important to clarify and enshrine the conscious capitalism values in your mission, vision, values, and purpose statement. Uh, hopefully you notice over time, I keep repeating that same phrase because that's really your, your, um, your constitution, if you like, your declaration of independence. And it's important that that's what you're going to run your business on um, based upon those four aspects. One of the things you might notice about the name of my new company, MVVP, is basically that. It's Mission, Vision, Values, Purpose, LLC. Because mm. um, that's, that's where I, I'm a firm believer that if you set those correctly, they're the foundation of your company. And it will, if you select the right and work hard at and understanding what 
those uh, four aspects should be for your company. It helps attract the right type of people, the right type of customers, and uh, the right type of resources to your company, um, especially if you live up to them. It's like the bedrock of your success is those values. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what the foundation of America is all about. Indeed. So tell me a little bit about you then. So when you're not focused sure. on your work, what do you do to relax? TV, sports, come on. What, what okay. you um, All right. From a sports perspective, I love to run. Running is my sanity. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I like to go out, go for a nice long run. I run slowly, but uh, I enjoy the, the idea of just getting outdoors and uh, seeing something different. Uh, I'm in Camden, I'm blessed to have the canal nearby, which is easy uh, to run. It goes all the way yeah. up to Farmington area, so it's, you can pick up the canal at any point in time. In terms of uh, watching sports, I'm a big football, soccer fan, I guess. Good man, you nearly said football. I, Come on then, own I it. Almost said, I almost said football, and then I said, I better say soccer. No, um, no, football, really. You're speaking to a so, Brit. So the real, the real football. Real so football. I, have been, <laughs> I have been a Liverpool fan since. Oh, since good since man. Congratulations to you. Thank you, Kevin Keegan. All those guys were my idols growing yes. up. I also love Brighton and Hove Albion. Those are my two soccer teams. Really? Little Brighton Seagulls. Yeah. Yes, it does. So uh, I, I love watching uh, soccer. I, I like watching baseball as well here. Yep. So a little bit of everything. Uh, my kids are past the sports phase now, so I'm sort of branching into doing lots of little projects around the house things that I've always wanted to do that I hadn't had time. So uh, those are my uh, passions right now. How does a child outgrow sports? Come on, Paul. That's, that's not on. That's not, tell me they're Liverpool fans at least, because you have to follow your dad. Oh, my, my, daughter, my daughter is a huge Liverpool fan. Good so girl. We, uh, we share t- texts all the time about uh, who, they, who they brought on, uh, who they're getting rid of. That's uh, great. Who's good, who's bad, who's up, who's down. So I'm uh, that's uh, great. a lot, lot of Liverpool uh, fans around. I'm just going to put it out there, yeah, that I'm a Southampton fan. I was born in, uh, very close to Southampton, and uh, we've basically supplied you with all of the players that you've needed to win the championship. Thank you for Danny Ings. Thank you for Lalana. Brighton says thank you for Sadio Lalana too. So. Sadio Mane, Mane maybe. Well. Yes. Uh, Van Dyke. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. Liverhampton, we call them. Liverhampton. Yes, the, the, uh, the uh, Liverpool uh, Academy. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. So tell me, uh, if you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and what questions might you ask? And tell me that Jurgen Klopp's on that list because I think he'd be fun. He'd be a fun guy to talk to. Um, I actually have a, a different guy, George cool. Washington. Okay, All right, let me tell you why. So, um, you know, I, and the, the point in time I'd love to talk to George is the about a week after he got to Boston um, after taking over the Continental Army. Now he was basically the first guy in the Continental Army. Place was in chaos. Uh, he went up to Boston. The siege of Boston was in full swing, and um, he went there. He was a man who was very successful in life, and he had his freedom. And he hadn't been a soldier in 10 years. He was a general in the French-Indian Wars. He was not very successful. I think he lost every battle he was involved in, but he <laughs> demonstrated extre- extreme bravery at that point in time. He had just taken over a uh, newly formed army with no structure, training, logistics, money, weaponry, lacking gunpowder, unclear goals to fight against the vastly superior professional fighting force. The Declaration of Independence hadn't even been signed at the time, so it was unclear how far his cause went. So he wasn't sure of that. And he also knew that a recent uprising in Ireland 
failed and that the leaders had been hung uh, while still alive, drawn and quartered. So here's a man risking life, limb, fortune, everything he had to join an uncertain cause. And he arrives up in Boston to see this rabble that he was supposed to, uh, you know, sort of whip into shape, who actually were very suspicious of him um, at the start. And, um, you know, you sit back and say, what the hell were you thinking would be the question I would ask? <laughs> You've just because, backed a three-legged uh, donkey here. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, but, you know, he spent the next, what, five or six years being the, the, uh, the general in charge of the Continental Army and then made it into a respectable fighting force over those that period of time. Uh, he showed extreme leadership by always staying with his men uh, through the winter periods of starvation and so on. And, but um, I've always wondered what was in his head in terms of um, what vision he had and how he viewed himself and how he viewed the cause at that point in time because mm. uh, it was very unclear that uh, everybody felt the chances of, of his success were slim to none at that point in time. Mm. So he would be certainly a guy I'd want to have a chat with and say, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah, fascinating. He must have had such vision, such vision. Yeah, he's, and he's not necessarily a guy we hear a whole lot. I mean, we, we see him as a caricature in terms of the father of the country, but it's not like you have the, uh, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation or the Gettysburg Address, where we could get great insight into the man. He was, he was a very reserved man who, who was very friendly with the folks that he knew, but very formal with the folks that he didn't. So you never really got a whole lot of insight into beyond that so um mm. i think he's a very interesting character what would you say has been your greatest success both professionally and personally mm. um greatest success personally i would say was uh, beyond other than getting married that's for my wife's benefit uh, the birth of my kids that's for their benefit <laughs> i guess i guess it was i guess it was becoming a citizen of the u.s um i think that uh if there's a point in life where you get to where you are self-determining who you are as a person and and for me it was becoming a, a citizen in terms of uh, professionally i always felt that the greatest sense of pride was uh, watching the folks who work for me uh, grow and conquer their challenges mm -hmm. for example i recently had an employee presented a kaizen event when i was at eca and she presented it in english um, to the whole management team um, Three months before that, she spoke very little English and was very hesitant to speak in public. I think the word you would use would be terrified. Wow. And yet within three months of, of sort of getting comfortable with this team that she worked on, um, she stood up and presented for about 10 minutes of the Kaizen, her section. And she did it in English and answered the questions in English. And when you see that level of courage, yeah. For me, those are my uh, greatest moments professionally, seeing people like that become uh, more than what they were. That's amazing. What an incredible and very obvious success, you know, to see her success and to be a part of the structure that allowed her to do what she did. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's, it's... What about fears then, Paul? Greatest fear that you've ever had to face? Um, okay, greatest fear. Um, my greatest fear actually was about 12 years ago when I, uh, I was uh, with a different company. I was traveling on business to Minnesota and it was, uh, you know, through Chicago to Minnesota. I landed and I got a voicemail from my wife telling me to call her as soon as possible. Uh, my daughter was in the ICU, one of my daughters, and oh. um, she was uh, not doing well. And uh, the flights back to Connecticut, because obviously you don't have any uh, phone service and uh, were, were nerve-wracking. So 
if I had to pick a point in time, you know, that's when you sort of yeah. question everything in life and uh, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, so uh, that was probably my most fearful, fearful time in, in my life. Yeah, you have a real evaluation, don't you? In moments yes. like that, that's when you do the real evaluation. What really matters here? What's the most yep. important thing? Am I on the right path? That's powerful stuff. Okay, then tell me about your plans other than world domination supporting underdogs and champions so that you've covered all bases by the way uh tell me what are your plans both personally and professionally for the next five or ten years okay so i've sort of as i mentioned i sort of come to that next point in my life and i uh, sort of said okay i'm on the last quarter of my professional life uh, as i see it and uh so i'm dedicating myself to finding that company and writing a story if you like, about uh, finding a company to, to lead from a conscious capital and lean manufacturing perspective and looking at how getting people involved and engaged and, and develop that. So that's really what I want to be able to do is spend 10 to 15 years building that journey out from a professional perspective. Uh, from a personal, I'm, I'm at a sort of a TBD point. I'm, I'm sort of in a very self-reflective mode at the moment. I'm trying to decide what I'm, I'm most passionate about. So and it's trying to find that uh, right balance, work life to personal life. And, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at what it is that I need to get involved that uh, stays true to my own mission, vision, values, purpose. And, and that's where I am right now is, is, is uh, trying to figure that out. Please let me know when you work it out and come back and share that with me because I've had the privilege of living in a few different countries and uh, here in particular, I found it more difficult than anywhere else that I've lived. And uh, that balance that you talk about is, is quite challenging. So come back and share your findings with us here on the curious capitalist. I'd be very intrigued to know. So to wrap up then, how could people find out more about you and what you're getting up to and to get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with you, Paul? So I think the best way is to email me, which is pmurphy, P-M-U-R-P-H-Y, 0821 at gmail.com fantastic thank you so much paul it's been an absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed chatting with you today and uh, please do come back and do a, a follow-up maybe at the end of next season football season Sounds soccer good. season we'll soccer do a we'll do a follow-up <laughs> i can't ever say real football, <laughs> real football. not egg chasing it's, it's got to be exactly. a round ball no egg chasing um it would be great to catch up with you and to see where you are whether you've bought a company, whether you've gone for world domination and changed the world yet. And I'd be very curious to see how little Brighton get on as well. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No today. problem. Glad to, Claire. Have a good day. You too. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.